Okay, it's good to see everybody. Tonight we're going to be looking at uh, what the church is all about, trying to understand what is church. So if you're following in the manuals, we're on page 19. And uh, let's pray before we start tonight. Father, I want to pray that, um, that you would speak to us, that you would help us to understand uh, what your design of the church is meant to be. Um, so that we can uh, be part of that uh, in a way that is meaningful. In Jesus' name, Amen. There's a, the story of a, a lad getting shown around one of these kind of country churches, and the vicar's showing him around the place, and he's got all these plaques and memorials up on the wall. And the little boy asks the vicar what, what they are. And uh, the vicar tells him that the, the memorials to those who died between 1914 and 1918. He says, um, he says um, they died in the services. And little boy says, oh, was that the morning one or the evening one? And uh, a lot of people today, I think the majority of people today, think church is boring, um, and possibly rightly so. Uh, many churches probably are. Um, it's reckoned that even God goes to sleep in some of them. And that churches are empty. Uh, a huge notice outside the church that said this. It said, why face depression alone? Come to church. And uh, <laughs> that's often the, the impression that we have. And we also have a lot of misconceptions of what the word church actually means. Uh, a lot of people think church is a service that you go to. So it's something that, that happens on a Sunday. And uh, even if you go and sit on your own at the very back, then that is what it means to go to church. And that's, that's a misconception. Um, some people think of it as an institution. So so-and-so has gone into the church. It means they've gone to work for the, the institution called the church if you like. Um, for others, it's a particular denomination. Which church do you go to? means do you go to the Baptist church, the Catholic church, the Methodist church, etc. And I think the most common misconception that we have is that a church is a building. Um, somebody asks you where a church is, and they point you to a building that's got a spire on the top. Um, and that's, we use it in that format. Um, you get a little bit confused if you come to Riverside because we don't have a building with a spire on the top. We meet in a secondary school. So um, it kind of confuses people who think that's what a church is. The other thing that people use church for is, is like an insurance policy. You know, if I, as long as I went to church a few times in my life, then I'll, I'll be okay um, if there's a life after death. There's a little ditty that goes like this. So when I've nothing else to do, I think I'll pay a visit. So when at last I'm carried in, the Lord won't say, who is it? So just kind of show your face at church will be enough. Going to a church building will be enough to kind of guarantee eternal life. But we know that's not true. It um, doesn't make sense at all because uh, it's the same as thinking that because you go to McDonald's, it makes you a beef burger. It doesn't. You find beef burgers in McDonald's, but by standing in one doesn't turn you into one. And similarly, Christians, you find them in church buildings, but just because you walk into a church building doesn't mean that, that you're a Christian. So if that's what church isn't, what is church? What, what really is it? Well, the words that we find in the New Testament, uh, the, the original Greek word is the word ecclesia, um, where you get things like ecclesiastical from. And uh, the word really means simply a gathering of people. Okay, a gathering of people, people getting together. And so the church isn't a place, it isn't a building, but it's actually a group of people. And it's a group of people who belong to God. So when I go to church, I go to join in with a group or a gathering of people with something in common. 
And that's something in common, is that we all belong to God, that we have come to know uh, God for ourselves. So the next question then is, how do I become part of this gathering that belongs to God? Which is what the church is. Well, the first part of that is that we need to enter the kingdom of God. Okay? We enter the kingdom of God. That's what it means to become a Christian. And so the church is really a group of people who are in the kingdom of God um, or are looking to come into the kingdom of God, working out the principles of God together in our lives. And uh, we've looked through this course at how, how you enter the kingdom of God. First of all, we change our minds about our, our own lives um, and come under God's thinking. That I, we, we do a U-turn in our lives to say, I've been going this way, but actually God wants me to, to go this way. So we repent, we do a U-turn, and then we believe in the Lord Jesus to receive our forgiveness. We believe in him on the cross to receive our forgiveness and also to ask him to lead us through life. And it's a little bit like going from into a new country. If you can imagine yourself on a, a border between, um, say, France and Germany, and uh, you've got this line which is the border to that country. And when you cross over that border, you cross over from one country to a new country. But very often, people cross over and don't notice huge differences. And if you can imagine being a couple of meters away from the border, okay, and you look at the scenery around you, and then you cross over the border, and you look at the scenery around you, there's not actually going to be a lot of difference. Because distance-wise, you've not really gone very far. Uh, you only really notice the difference when you, you travel on into that country and then you find the language changes, the culture changes, the scenery changes um, and everything else changes. And so it's important to go right across, not just to cross over the border and then, and then sort of look around, but to carry on into that new country. And so some people uh, come from a way back and uh, they run over to that border because they've been miles away from God and they run into the other country, and you see a very dramatic change in their lives. Other people um, have been very close to the border for most of their lives. They've never crossed over, but they've been very close. Um, and often they go across and kind of hover around, really. Not, they don't move very far at all. Um, and so you don't always see such dramatic changes in their lives. And some people drift across without ever realizing that they've gone. They, they sort of found themselves in this new place without really knowing when it happened. Um, and for other people, it was a definite decision that they made to go across. And so that's a, a little bit about entering the kingdom of God and therefore becoming part of the church. And so the first action of faith, if you like, once you've crossed over, the first action of faith and obedience is, uh, is to be baptized in water. And that's a, a symbolic thing, really. Um, but it, it marks you. It's a bit like getting your passport stamped. Okay, you go across and you've got a mark that says you've, you've been, you're in there now. And that's really what water baptism is. It's a bit like a, a spiritual mark to say to the world, I've become a Christian, to say to other Christians, I'm, I'm part of you now, and uh, to say to the, the spiritual realm, if you like, the, the forces of evil that I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And so as we go on into the country and we receive all that the Holy Spirit has for our lives, then it's, he is a little bit like a, a guide or a courier to show you how to live in this new place, um, how, to, uh, how to change as you need to, how to um, 
find all the resources of God that are in this new, new kingdom, okay, this new country, um, where God is now king in our lives, where Jesus is king. And he, he like enables us to see how all those resources are available to us. His, the Holy Spirit also gives us and releases in us new gifts and new spiritual abilities that will give us a role, give us a function in this new place. Because the church is also described as the body of Christ. And a body is made up of hands, mouths, feet, all the rest of it. All, and every part has a function. And the Spirit of God comes to, to release into us um, gifts and abilities to actually have a, have a new function in, in that place, in the church. So the church then isn't a place, isn't a building, but it's a community of people. Okay, It's people, all living in God's kingdom, but in a world that should look on to this community and say, wow, this is how we were meant to live. This is how life was meant to be, as they look on the community that is, has got the mark of God upon it and in all the relationships. So then we have the universal church, which is the church across the world, in every country that there is. All the people, all the Christians, they've never maybe all got together, but one day they will, at the end of time. But uh, there's a universal church, and that's purported to have somewhere in the region of 17,000 million people. So that's the worldwide church, um, if you like. But that's made up of different parts. There's a persecuted church, places in the world where Christianity is not allowed, where Christianity is illegal, if you like, and uh, it's very much an underground um, movement. But people in those situations and those regimes have a very strong faith because it's a very real thing if they become a Christian because they face all sorts of possibilities, prison, um, torture, even losing their lives or being persecuted in different ways. There's a story, well, a true story, from a, a guy called Pastor Cheng, Chinese guy, very well-educated Christian leader, and he finished up in a, a labor camp, a prison labor camp for 18 years, simply for being a Christian and refusing to, uh, to back down on his beliefs. And uh, he was put to work in a human waste pool, two meters deep in the middle, and he had to climb into this every day and dig out the human waste. And fairly obviously, nobody ever came near him in this prison camp. But he wrote this, or said this, I enjoyed the solitude. I could pray to the Lord as loud as I liked. So there's all these soldiers and whatever around. I could pray as loud as I liked and loudly recite the scriptures and psalms and loudly sing hymns. I have wonderful fellowship with our Lord. None other has known such joy. The cesspool became my private garden. So that's a guy with a very strong faith but in a persecuted part of the world. And there are millions of Christians persecuted today even today. There's the third world part of the church where many thousands of people um, are becoming Christians and joining the church. And then there's the free world where we live. And the church is generally in decline um, in the free world. But we're only a small part of the universal church. And uh, the Bible tells us that at the very end of time um, that there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnic grouping in the world will be part of uh, the church. So that's the universal church, but how we meet is um, much more on a local basis. Every city really has a church, and uh, in Birmingham, I've just been at a conference um, with leaders and ministers from across the denominations in Birmingham, some 65 people, trying to work on the, the truth that there is one church in Birmingham, but many congregations. And every, every 
church in our eyes is actually a congregation of the citywide church. And, uh, and each of those local congregations or gatherings of Christians meets in different ways, with diversity, different styles, etc. But when they meet, we tend to meet in um, this sort of three levels. There's what you call the celebration level, where there's maybe a, a couple of hundred people will get together. And uh, a Sunday service, for example. And there you've got the advantages. Now you've got some, some atmosphere there. You've got a, um, an atmosphere of worshipping with many other people. It's a sense of God's presence and uh, hearing God's word together and as a large group of people. And obviously the community is aware that a group that size meets in some way or another. The disadvantages are that it's so large that you can't get to know anybody. It's very difficult to make friendships. Another level is the congregation level, which is sort of between 20 and 100 people. Some churches meet on, on that sort of size. When Riverside, uh, probably about eight years ago, before we all came to meet together, we met um, as five separate congregations in the morning um, because that was a place where you could get to know people. Um, we've changed that in Riverside, and uh, we probably do things more across the age bands or the life stage bands so you can get to know people on a slightly bigger scale um, across that. But then the key thing is the small group level. And the small group level is, the, is maybe three people or, or up to maybe 12 people. And uh, they can meet together in people's homes. That's a place where you can really look out for one another. That's a place where real friendships can develop. Um, there's a place where you can share in confidence because you trust other people. There's an intimacy there. You can talk openly about your struggles, about your joys, about your challenges. A place where you can care for one another um, and a place where you can be accountable to one another where you can ask and be asked, you know, how are things going in your life? How, how's, how's that that you were talking about last week working out in your life? Place of accountability. And so you've got these different levels of, uh, of church because church is people. And so these are key things. Okay, the second thing I want to look at is what is the purpose of church? What does the Bible say is the purpose of church? How do we understand it? Well, if you turn in your Bibles to page 1094... We're going to look at the example of the very first church. Page 1094, Acts chapter 2, and verse 42. This is after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on, on the believers, and uh, some 3,000 were added to the number. And there's this five verses that just talks about the fellowship of the believers. The, this is really the first church, and it tells us what the devoted themselves to. Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And on page uh, 23 of the manual, we see, I've sort of split this up into five main headings. And uh, the first of those is worship. It tells us that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and they praised God. And that's all about worship. 
and we'll look at that in a bit more detail in a minute. The, the second area is fellowship. This word fellowship, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. It says all the believers were together. They ate together. They spent time with one another. The third area it talks about is discipleship. It tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, wanting to obey what, what, what Jesus had told them to, to do. There's ministry. Okay? They gave to anyone as he had need. They reached out to one another and to others around. And one of the results was that every day, people were being added to them. People were joining them. They were having an impact on those around, which is what evangelism is all about. So let's look at those in turn. First of all, worship. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that he, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said this, he said, the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. He said, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And that's what worship is. The church exists to worship God with all of our hearts. And uh, our worship is expressed through our lives, how we live out the Christian life, um, how we relate to one another, how we live, and, uh, and out of that, how we express ourselves and how we relate to God. 1 John 4 says that if, if anyone says, I love God, many people like to sing songs to God, okay? But it says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar, for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so it's very important that our worship to God is actually a reflection of our love for one another and for other people. My relationships are more important to God than whether I sing songs to him or not. But when they are, then he wants to hear my heart express the gratitude and thanksgiving and worship that I have for God, for who he is. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament describes the church as the bride of Christ. The picture of a bride. The church is a bride of Christ. And that's a picture that shows the incredible love that Jesus has for the church. Because you can imagine the, the, the love that a bridegroom has for his bride. That is the love that Jesus has for the church and vice versa. And so the picture is that out of that we respond in worship to him because of his love for us. He first loved us. And in Ephesians 5, 25 onwards, it, it, the picture again is of this husband and wife, which is a picture of what Jesus Christ and the church will be. And it's, it's of intimacy, it's of love, it's of incredible care, it's of lives laid down for one another. And, uh, and that is a picture of what marriage should be, and it's also a picture of what Jesus' relationship with the church should be and is. And so worship is about intimacy. It's about relationship with God. And I suppose the benefit of that for ourselves is that as we focus on God and realize who he is, it prepares us spiritually and emotionally for the week that faces us. As we put God as a priority in our lives through worship, then he promises to be with us through every situation that we face in the week. James said this, as you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And so worship is one of the key um, purposes of church. The second one, fellowship. Again in Ephesians 2 verse 19, it says this. Consequently, you are now fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So we become fellow citizens 
with God's people. Become part of this, this group of people. We become members of God's household. And so when you become a Christian, you become part of a family. You become part of God's family. When you come to know God as your father, and all that that means, it's not just an individual thing, because everyone else who comes to know God as their father now becomes your brother and sister, because you're part of a family. And so when we link in with God, we also link in with one another. And so as Christians, we're not only to believe, but we're also to belong. And we're to belong to this group of people, this family, God's family. And uh, the benefit from that is that it helps us face the challenges of life and the difficulties of life because it provides support for us and we provide support for others. It provides encouragement and prayer for other Christians. And so that's something we can receive, but if we just only ever get in life, it doesn't work. So we also need to give. So we need to be people who also give in to others to support, encourage, and pray for them. And it's a reciprocal thing. There's an illustration of uh, a couple who've been part of a church but haven't been for about six months. And uh, the pastor visits, you know, and the minister, the, the, the leader, if you like, and they're, they're dreading it, and they think, oh, no, it's just, they're just feeling really guilty. You know, I haven't been for six months. What's he going to say? But he comes in, and he doesn't mention the subject. He talks to them. He finds out all about their lives, what they've been up to. doesn't mention the fact they've not been for six months. And now they're thinking they survived, you know. And anyway, just as he's leaving, they have an open fire with coals in it. And he goes over, he gets the tongs, and he pulls out one of the hot coals from the middle of the fire. And he puts it on the edge of the hearth. And then leaves. And they're completely bemused amused by this and they're watching it and slowly they realize that the, the coal that's come out of the fire has stopped glowing and it's gone cold and it's a very powerful picture of fellowship <coughs> is that when you're not part of the fire if you're not with all the other coals if you like and you're on your own and isolated then your faith grows cold and uh, and you, you go out and you need to go back in to the heart of the fire so it's a very important part for our lives, but also for the lives of everyone within the church fellowship. Discipleship, third one. We looked at last week where Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey. That's what it is. That's what discipleship is. It's, it's learning ourselves how to obey Jesus and teaching others. And so a disciple is a learner, okay? A disciple of Jesus isn't something you attain to, okay? A disciple of Jesus is somebody who's got L plates on, right? Front and back. Um, and every one of us, as a Christian, is a learner. We've got our L plates on, and we've got them on for the rest of life. That is what we do through life, as we learn to follow Jesus, learn to obey Jesus. And there's a description in the book of Ephesians, again, chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. And it's the picture that the church is like a building, if you like. And it's made up of all the, the stones, the blocks, the bricks. And that each one of us, as a Christian, is one of those blocks or bricks. And so the, 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 holy, the temple, the holy temple, is made up of people. It's a bit like the Halifax advert. You've seen the Halifax advert, all the people, you know, make the, the thing. And the, the picture is like that, is that everybody... It's like a building, but it's made up of living people, living stones, if you like. And uh, it says that the foundations, in verse 20, um, are, the, it's, are the apostles and the prophets, i.e. the teaching of the Bible, the teaching of the New Testament. 
And that is the foundation on which it's built. And it says that the cornerstone, and the cornerstone is the thing that gives everything else, everything else is in line with the cornerstone. Up, left, that way, that way, all the different axes that there are. And it says Jesus is the cornerstone. So he is like the plumb line. He's the, the standard by which the, the whole building is put together. And then the Holy Spirit indwells the whole building. So the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, building us together, making us into one, with diversity but with unity, um, built on the foundation and uh, all the rest of it. And uh, that's, that's a picture from Ephesians. And so discipleship is a process of learning to obey Jesus. It's the process of helping each other become more like Christ in our thoughts, in our feelings, and in our actions. And that's what it is, helping one another to do that. And the process begins when we're reborn spiritually, and it continues for the rest of our lives with those L plates on. And so the benefit for ourselves is that it helps fortify and strengthen our faith by learning the truth of God's Word and applying the biblical principles to our lifestyle, living it out. And that is how we grow, and that is how we become more like Jesus. So that's the third area. We've got worship, we've got fellowship, we've got discipleship. And the fourth purpose of the church is ministry. And uh, when Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and strength and soul. And the second is like it, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22 and verse 39. And as I said earlier, the, the church is described as the body of Christ. Okay? So Jesus was here, he went to heaven, and now the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, is the church. And we, as a group, okay, are to be what Jesus was. And uh, the body gives us this impression of all the members of the body, my fingers, my hands, my arms, my brain, my, my legs, every part of me, okay, my giblets, all the bits in there, well, make me work. They all have a function, okay, and they all work in coordination with one another. So there's lots of different parts that do lots of different things, but they work in unity. If they don't work together, then, you know, one leg's going that way and one leg's going that way. It's a mess, okay? But when we work together, then it's, it's functioning correctly. So everything is dependent upon every other part, but every part has its own function. And so it is with us. We're to find a... Becoming part of a church isn't getting on the book, okay? It's not getting on the membership role. That isn't what it really means to be part of a church. What it means to be part of a church is to find a role to minister or to serve in that place. So you have a function. You're not just somebody who sits on a pew, but you're somebody who is doing something that is expressing something of the body of Christ. It's something of Jesus having an effect on other people. And it's the body of Christ. So the of Christ bit is that we are to be and to do the things that Jesus was and did. We're to minister to people's spiritual needs, to people's physical needs, to people's relational needs, um, to people's emotional needs. Every, every need around us, um, both within the church, as people come into healing and all the rest of it, and work through issues, and also in the world, we're to minister into that. And so every one of us, every, every person in a church is a minister. The minister is not the person who leads the church. A lot of people today even, in, in many churches they believe that the minister is the person up the front. They're not the minister. The Bible tells us that everybody in the church is a minister. 
okay? The ordinary people, everybody, they are the ministers. And the person that leads it, or the staff of the church, they're there to equip you to minister in the gifts that God has given you, both to one another in the church and also to people outside of the church as well. Again, in Ephesians 2, it tells us that we're saved for good works, that God has prepared in advance for you to do. There are things that God wants you to do, and that is part of the reason why you become a Christian, because he's got things for you to do, things that only you can do with you, the things that God has put into your life, because you're unique in who you are. And so that benefits us in the fact that it helps us find and develop what our gifts and talents and abilities are so that we can use them in serving others. And that gives people credible f fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose in life when they're operating the things that God wants them to be operating in. So that's ministry. Lastly, there's evangelism. And I will look at this in depth last week, so we won't say much about it. Um, Jesus said that we're to go into all the world and make disciples. So it's not just something we're to hide our faith behind four walls, but we're to let the world know about it. Um, the original means as you're going, as you're interacting with people around us in the world, that we're to in some way be contagious with our faith. Okay, we're to let it spill out, not to hold it back from, not to hide it from people, but to let people see it, either in the way that we live our lives and also in the way that we explain our lives. And uh, we looked at communicating our faith to others last week. But in a sense, you think about any group or organization or um, thing like that in the world, they exist for the people who are in it. But actually the church is probably the only group, really, that exists for people who are not in it. It exists for non-members, okay? Um, it's a place that's to be open for people to come into. And uh, we do it because Jesus told us to do it. And because Jesus is the answer to people's lives, to people's hungers. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it in all its fullness. He is our answer. And uh, there's so much need in the world. And thirdly, we looked at last week because the word gospel and it literally means good news. And when you've got good news, you pass it on. And so the church is there to help us fulfill our mission of reaching our friends and our family for Christ with the good news that we've discovered. And the church is there to help us do that. So then just to finish then, I just want to look at the, how some of these things pan out with Riverside. Um, and really worship, corporate worship, we have on Sunday services primarily. We've got the morning services that are accessible to both mature Christians, but also to those who are just investigating. A place where they can discover what God is all about. And in the evening, um, particularly for uh, people who, who are Christians and uh, want to spend time singing and praising and worshipping God. Um, fellowship. We have small groups in the church. Groups of about six people, thereabouts, six to ten. Meet in homes during the week, uh, maybe once a week or once a fortnight. We also have special groups for people who are new to Christianity. Um, people like yourselves, people who come through the Alpha course and say, well, what do I do now? What am I going to do now? And we have special small groups that are a bit slightly more structured to help you go through the, the essential aspects of, uh, of starting out the Christian faith and learning to apply it to your own lives in a group, small group situation. And uh, we'll give you a leaflet about that in the groups afterwards. And uh, I encourage you to, to join those um, as appropriate, really. 
and to become part of that if you want to go on after this week. Small groups where, okay, yeah, that's a place where you, you not only learn about God, but you get to know one another and support one another as well, share your lives together. Discipleship. I've mentioned the discipleship groups. That's uh, for those after the Alpha course to develop our, our relationship with God for ourselves. Small groups, again, where you can apply Bible teaching or you can discuss this stuff that's been talked about on a Sunday in the sermons and say, well, let's get some questions. Let's, how, how is this working out in our lives? Because it's, it's, not, it's not about learning and passing an exam. Okay? It's about becoming more like Jesus in our lives. It's about living it out. Ministry. Well, most of our ministry is during the week where you go to work, people that you rub shoulders with, people who have got hurts in their lives, difficulties in their lives, challenges in their lives, to help them, to pray for them, to support them, and just to share, uh, to do what Jesus would do for them in those situations. We have a course in the church called Equipped to Serve, which is a, a place where you can begin to learn what your gifts are, what, what abilities you have, and how you can use them to serve other people. And then evangelism. Again, during the week, where you live, where you work, um, just explaining our faith as and when is appropriate. Or you can also invite people to events that we run at Riverside. We have the first Sunday event, the first Sunday of the month is one coming up very soon, 1st of February. And we're going to be looking at shattered dreams, dealing with disappointments. Fully presented, so there's no participation, but uh, people can come and sit and consider um, for themselves with drama, with video, with contemporary music, etc., and some explanation. <clears throat> There's the Sunday mornings, um, where again, it's, it's for Christians, but it's, we make it to try and be accessible to those who, can, um, who want to come and just listen week after week and just discover a bit for themselves. We have guest meals very often. We put some food on and somebody who can tell them their story of coming to faith and uh, maybe a little bit of explanation with it that you can bring friends and family to. And then there's the Alpha course, which is uh, geared towards that. And uh, you all know what the Alpha course is now, so uh, we'll be starting another one, actually, in two weeks' time. And uh, the first one of those, I think it's the 5th of February or something, we'll be here, we'll have some food, home hot buffet, like we did back in October, and Nick will be talking about um, barriers to, to belief and faith and that sort of thing. And uh, I encourage you, if you've got friends, family, you want to recommend the Alpha course to, then bring them along to that first evening. You know, they don't have to come for the whole course, but just bring them along um, to that as an opportunity and they can come and see whether they want to come along it's just a, it's a sort of opening introductory evening they can come and see a little bit about what the course is all about um, and uh, some of you will have come because somebody invited you to this so you can use that as an opportunity to recommend it to others who have maybe asked you you know why have you been coming what have you been doing slightly interested in those sorts of things okay I'm going to finish there let's pray and end Father, we want to thank you for well, this is the, the end of, of this course and we want to thank you for the, the time that we've had together, the things that you've shown us, the things that you've uh, encouraged us in, the things that you've um, helped us to discover and I pray that to, even tonight, Lord, that uh, we would know that you're with us and that you're with us even beyond this um, for all of us at the different stages we're at, that you would show us how to move forward and uh, how to discover more about uh, the life that you, you give and the life that you offer. Pray for every person who's here and every person who's not made it this evening that, uh, that each would know that you are real and uh, that you have an incredible love 
and desire to be involved in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.